You are listening to The Dynasty Diner, a proud member of the Dynasty Sports Empire family of podcasts. Welcome to the Dynasty Diner. I am your co-host, Brett Siegel. Here in the diner, we sit around the table and talk all things Dynasty and Keeper Leagues for your fantasy sports. This includes baseball, basketball, football, golf, and hockey. Today, we have a massive show planned for you. It will likely be our last baseball-specific episode for a bit. We're shifting gears in the next few weeks and planning both basketball and football topics. We want to extend a warm welcome to all of our new listeners and a big thank you to those that are returning. Be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. Be notified whenever we put up a new episode. Joining us in a moment will be my co-host and a special guest we are excited to have on the show today. In today's episode, it's going to be all about final Dynasty Baseball Rankings. We will be listing those rankings and profiling more than two dozen players while we're at it, and we hope to bring you some fantastic content today. Of course, we will be offering you our dish of the day, and you can chew on that before you leave the diner. Now, time to introduce our co-host, special guest, and talk some Dynasty Baseball Rankings. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Again, I am Brett Siegel. You can find me on Twitter at BASiegel68. That's B-A-S-I-E-G-E-L-6-8. And we are welcoming our usual co-host today. That is Chris Zelaya, our DSC content editor, DSC baseball commissioner. And Chris, where can we find you on Twitter? I'm at Drunken Angels with a Z. And joining us today is our special guest, James Vecchio. He is a freelance fantasy writer, a regular contributor to the For Fantasy Sake website. He's been playing fantasy sports for about 20 years, and he is a loogie lover. I know out of context, that doesn't make any sense to those that might be listening. Hopefully it makes sense to you if you're listening. And he hates that one inning pitcher minimum. Chris, say hello and let us know where we can find you on Twitter. Uh, how you guys doing? Um, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at drunken angels. Yeah, that was my mistake. I meant James. I was looking at Chris and I meant James. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at what money 3000 and, uh, what's up to both you guys. Uh, excited to, to start talking some fantasy baseball as the season's basically here. Yeah. Tell me, why are you a loogie lover? Because that is just one thing I can't stand. Uh, well, I'm a left-handed player. And growing up, for unknown reasons to myself, I always gravitated towards the really bad left-handed pitcher in the Indians' bullpen, as I'm a Clevelander, and I just fell in love with every single one that came across, and it's what I wanted to be. Uh, I guess I'm weird in the sense that I didn't want to be the star, I didn't want to be the, the Clayton Kershaw of a rotation, I wanted to be that, that guy who got lefties out. I don't know why. But it's uh, it's near and dear to my heart, and the one inning minimum rule is is killing off an endangered species. I hear you. I just don't agree with you, but that's okay. 
Um, I just want to point out to everybody, I just discovered James. Technically, he discovered me or found me on Twitter not too long ago. Uh, I had submitted my Dynasty Rankings version 2.0. I just recently updated it to 3.0. But he called me out on something, and we had a little discussion, and then I dove a little bit deeper into uh, James's rankings. And he is insane. He ranks like 200-plus players at every position I didn't even know there were 200 players to rank. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely like to, to go deep. Uh, for for what I do, I'm really interested in just seeing everyone and and kind of being the first to learn of said prospect. Uh, you know, more often than not, when you're going 200 deep, uh, that 150 to 200 range is not pleasant, and you're going to find a lot of people who don't ever hit a big league roster or do in just sparing time and never get a starting role. But I really like to, to play deep leagues. I like to, to think about deep leagues, and I love having that gigantic stash of players where you're paying attention to them. I'll pay attention to the minor league season as much as I do to the big league season, and, and I really just love it. So when I decided to start putting out some rankings, I said, why not take this knowledge I have and, and put it to use? So that's, that's kind of where the, the whole idea originated from. Well, we're definitely going to have to get you to the DSC website because our baseball leagues, in our first year, we start with 40-man rosters with three minor league spots. And then we expand every year by two spots regular and three spots minor. So, and it caps out at a 50-man roster with 15 minor leaguers. Yeah, that's that's a very pretty nice little roster you have going because you get to you get to see some names that people don't know. They they hear once and they go, oh, I'll go add that guy off the waiver wire because I just heard him fast and I got to pounce on him because there's not a lot of depth out there. All right, so we have a pretty long show today and a lot to get to. So I, I want to start with uh, explaining Dynasty Rankings just a little bit, have each of us explain just a, a touch about how we do it and why or well how we go about it. I kind of want to bring this up because Every time I post Dynasty rankings, and I always post catchers first, I always get, at least this year, with every single version that I put out, I got, where's James McCann? And I'm like, listen, my Dynasty rankings, I try to snapshot where players are going to be in five to eight years. Pretty much five years, but I, I have to factor in a little bit longer. At the end of the day, James McCann is not going to be playing baseball in about eight years, or at least not in between the lines. And so he doesn't reflect very high in my rankings, and and I stand by that. Now, I realize that everybody does dynasty rankings different. So, Chris, tell us a little something about how you do your dynasty rankings. So, when I'm doing dynasty rankings, I'm basically looking at the next three years. I don't go as five years because five years are a little bit harder to project. So, I'll look at the previous two years, the current year we're going into, and then three years past that. Um, And I kind of get an idea... I use a simple 5-3-1 looking at the previous three years and then projecting forward. Uh, same basic idea. There is age weight that I put into it based on the, the age of the actual player. Um, but that's generally how I come up with my rankings. James, what do you do for your methodology? Because you go really deep. I can't even imagine listing that many players. How do you go about it? I mean, my methodology, uh, it, it comes a lot based on team context. Uh, I know for most people who put out rankings, they kind of almost ignore team context and they're looking at pure talent. But I like to, to look at that because, generally speaking, 
when you're talking about present values of a player, people reference team context. Uh, you mentioned a, a James McCann, and people are asking why he's not higher on your rankings. They're asking because he's on a Mets team that's projected to become a, a very good offense for the first time in, in a year or two, and he's supposed to be a part of that. Well, let's be honest. Mets Nation is a little bit fanatical, and that's part of the yes. problem. And and I'll be honest. He's a lot higher on my redraft rankings. He just isn't there on dynasty rankings. Exactly, and, and I think with my dynasty rankings, I like to, to look at the full picture. So when you have someone who's a prospect, you're looking at their full career arc. When you have a, a James McCann-type player, you're looking at the, the latter half of their career, and you're trying to find where that value will come from. So if you think James McCann is going to put up a solid but replaceable numbers uh, in a standard 12-man league, for instance, then he's not very valuable in a standard 12-man dynasty because you can just go to your waiver wire and acquire someone with approximately his skill set. And so you don't want to stash him on your bench because you can just go grab someone. So uh, everything's league-dependent. Uh, and every player is, I guess, a unique set. I don't have a, a simple formula that I plug everything into, but I just like to, to basically look at a player, look at a team context, and I really plug them into tiers, and I think my tiers are, are far more valuable than individual rankings because when you look at a tier, you're looking at kind of their overall value, and you know you may disagree, oh, Christian Vasquez is about equal to James McCann, and you can argue the minute details, but they should be in about the same tier because they're about the same level of player. And that's that's kind of how I do it. I look at tiers first and then get into the minute details afterwards. Okay. And where do you normally publish your rankings at? Right now, uh, my rankings uh, will go on for fantasy's sake. Uh, they haven't gone up yet. They're actually just on my Twitter at WhatMoney3000. But uh, I've got a big full list. Uh, I've got a, a free uh, Excel Google Sheet document that people can go and just see everything. And uh, more or less, that's that's kind of where they are. They don't have a set home yet. Okay. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've had some significant injuries uh, lately. And I know that in particular, and I think I tagged you in it, James, uh, somebody called me out for having Mike Clevenger in my top 20. I think he was sitting at 20. They were like, you know he's injured, right? You know he had Tommy John surgery. And, of course, you know, for me, I, again, I, I reiterate, I'm trying to look at a five-year snapshot, and I'm not worried about Mike Clevenger in five years. I think he's a top-20 pitcher still in five years. So that's kind of where I have him right now, and and I stand by that. And, Chris, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about Eloy Jimenez and uh, Nick Anderson being injured and how that might have affected your rankings? Uh, with both of those players, it didn't affect my rankings at all. Uh, I think Jimenez is going to be where he is regardless of his injury. It's unfortunate for this year. Um, actually, the news I just heard this morning was that Jimenez's injury may not be as prolonged as originally expected. Um, the last that I heard was it is a three-and-a-half-month uh, injury instead of a five-plus-month injury. In either which case, both of them are young enough. They both have the, the right trajectory. There's no replacement player in each in either organization that's going to take the job away from them. And I think they both stay exactly where I have them ranked in in dynasty rankings. James, you have anything to add about injuries when it comes to your rankings? Uh, I think I'm actually kind of somewhere in the middle of you two. Uh, I've moved people slightly. Like Jimenez has such a long career ahead of him that his movement should be extremely minimal, if any at all. 
you know, Anderson's 30 years old and he has seven career saves, uh, as great of a player as he might be in a standard 5x5, five five, you're going to drop that because he's 30 years old coming off of a significant arm injury, whenever that is. But also at the same time, the relievers are extremely volatile and he's been dependable his entire career. And then you look at someone like Clevenger, who's an excellent arm, but also at the same time, the Padres have a full rotation heading forward without him. And he's just a luxury piece for them. Yeah, but they did, sign, they did sign him for two years. They have exactly. every intention of playing him. The only thing, and, a, and a, a Twitter follower pointed this out, they actually said it was his second Tommy John surgery, and it's not. It is his first. However, he did have elbow reconstructive surgery uh, very early in his career. I think he was. it was his first year in the minor leagues. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but yes. it was elbow reconstructive surgery, but they did not mess with that that tendon or any of the ligaments in there in terms of, you know, what, or the UCL or whatever takes place with the Tommy John injury. That is a first time. I don't know that we've ever seen Tommy John surgery on someone who's had elbow reconstructive surgery before, but so that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. And I guess just specifically to my point, I don't uh, have fear that Clevenger is not going to be able to recuperate at any higher of a probability than anyone else who gets Tommy John. Uh, I just think the Padres are going to be clearly in their win-now window, and his leash might be a little bit shorter to hit the rotation because they're going to be worried about winning now, and they might throw him in the bullpen for that second year if he recovers a little bit slower. And uh, it's definitely possible that his value takes a hit uh, because of that, because they've got Gore coming up, they've got Darvish, they've got Musgrove, they've got Lamette, you know, they've got a full rotation, and his team context is, is what gives me pause for concern versus his talent level or skill or the injury itself. He could also end up being trade bait, though. If he comes back and, and he comes back and he pitches well in one or two starts and the, and the Padres aren't convinced that he's going to be legit next season, he very well could just be trade bait to figure out that piece that they do need to beat the Dodgers and get over the hump. That, that's completely correct. His, his variance, I guess, is, is kind of higher than your standard uh, player recovering from DJ. Yeah. All right, we have a lot of rankings to get to. We have a lot to list. We all have somebody to talk about at each position. So I want to get moving on a little bit. But I do want to mention that uh, our complete rankings for Dynasty Sports Empire can be found at the DynastySportsEmpire.com website. It's under, there's, uh, there's headings on the website. It's under Tools, Fantasy, Rankings, and then Baseball. There are four rankers at Dynasty Sports Empire, uh, Chris and I are two of the four, and actually version three, the latest version, has not been published yet. I'm looking at it live. Uh, there's still a couple of entries to be made, but there's enough entries here that we can uh, I can list off what's going on. James, we already talked about yours. Yours are going to be coming out on For Fantasy Sake website here shortly, and until then, everybody can find your rankings on Twitter at WhatMoney3000. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. So let's start with catchers. All right. Looking here at the list, I am going to list off the first 10 or so catchers, and then we'll have a little discussion about them and or some individuals. So number one is JT Realmuto. He is actually not a consensus number one. Chris decided to make him number two. So we have JT Realmuto. Number two is Will Smith. Number three is Adley Rutschman. Number four, Wilson Contreras. Number five, Yasmani Grandal. 
Number six, Salvador Perez. Number seven, Joey Bart. Number eight, Gary Sanchez. Number nine, Sean Murphy. Number 10, Dalton Varsho, who likely will lose his catcher eligibility this year. And just for the sake of argument, I will list number 11, and that is Luis Camposano, who, as long as he gets rid of his drug charge, should move up in the rankings just a little bit for the following years. Looking at my list here, let's start with you, James. You told me you want to talk about somebody in particular. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm very interested in Will Smith. Uh, I know the the preseason conversations with Dave Roberts have suggested his playing time is going to be uh, very low relative to what you want and what he's capable of. But frankly, I see it as mostly manager speak. You know, when those games come down to it and you need to win a game, Will Smith's going to be around. Uh, obviously, with the Dodgers, uh, they have an extremely good team. The only competition in division is the Padres. But the Padres are also a very good team. And the Dodgers are going to want to make sure that they take the division title and don't get stuck in a wild card game. So I think Will Smith's going to play a little bit more than the, the Dodgers are letting on. You know, maybe it's a 60% timeshare. Maybe it's a 65% timeshare. Maybe it's 70%. But I think even at those numbers, he's the number one overall catcher in my dynasty rankings. And that's also just looking at the short snapshot of this year. When you look at the long overall snapshot, he's there. Yeah, they've got some amazing prospects, but they have amazing prospects at every position. And when you're the number one overall catcher, uh, the prospect's not going to catch you and leap in front of you. You're going to be good. You're going to play. There's no defensive questions. He's my ace at the position. And I think those uh, who have Real Muto at number one, I understand why. But if I'm drafting today, I'm targeting Will Smith over Real Muto. Fair enough. And um, Chris, who are you highlighting today? Uh, well, really quickly, I want to say that Will Smith was my number one and Real Muto was my number two for all the reasons that James just mentioned. Um, but I'm going to target Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly is not a flashy catcher. He's actually number 13 on my dynasty rankings. He had a poor 2020 season, but... He's been working the offseason to improve his swing, his approach in the batter's box. He is realistically a 15 home run catcher. He's also got a 36-year-old catcher as his backup. Dalton Varsho is not going to be the catcher for the Cardinals. For the people who thought he was, sorry to burst your bubble. It's not going to happen. He ends up in the outfield when he does come up to the majors. He's got too many mechanical issues to work on behind the plate, and Carson Kelly will be the catcher for the Cardinals for the foreseeable future. As a number 13th ranked honesty catcher who hits 15 home runs, who hits a 250 average, a 325 OBP, he's not a terrible grab in a dynasty league, in a redraft league. He's a do-no-wrong middle-of-the-road catcher. I'm sorry, Diamondbacks. Yeah, you kept, kept saying, saying the I Cardinals. kept saying Cardinals because he was drafted by the Cardinals originally, but he's yeah. with the Diamondbacks. We'll let it slide. It's been a chaotic week. Um, <laughs> I, I just not... want to oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I want to chime in and say, uh, I agree with everything Chris is saying. So far, we uh, agree on everything. Uh, I have Kelly as my number seven dynasty catcher, which I know is very lofty, but everything Chris just said uh, hits the nail on the head. He's someone to own. Well, for the record, uh, Chris has him at number 13. I have him at number 16, and he comes out at 17 and a half on average and sits at number 18 in our dynasty rankings so far. Um, I am not going to talk about James McCann 
because he won't be here for a while, uh, or he won't be here in a while. Uh, I will talk about Alejandro Kirk, and he just made the opening day roster. Now, I made my dynasty rankings a little bit before he made the roster, and I have him at 21, and I am actually uh, one of the lowest people to rank him. Uh, Chris had him at number 11. However, last year, he mashed in his 24 at-bats, had a 983 OPS. In this spring, he also had 24 at-bats and had a 917 OPS. They are putting him on the roster. Um, I guess uh, I can't remember the guy who got caught in the car doing things he should not have done. Reese McGuire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I conveniently forgot his name, thank goodness. Uh, but Reese McGuire is uh, likely not going to be on the roster unless they decide to carry three at the last minute. And I think Alejandro Kirk's slugging ability is going to get him probably a 40% share time. Danny Jansen is not a bad catcher. He's a good defensive catcher. Jansen also has great WOBA numbers and great expected WOBA numbers. The problem is he keeps hitting the ball to where everybody is. And his expected, you know, all of his expected numbers are good, but when it just comes down to it, he's not producing. I think you're going to see Kirk get a 40% share. I also think that Kirk is going to take away some DH at-bats from Rowdy Telez before the season is over. I agree 100%. The only thing I'll say against Kirk, and don't get me wrong, I, I like Kirk. He's a big guy. And and maybe this is the old man in me talking, but the bigger you are, the older you get, the harder it is to squat behind home plate. I was a big guy as a catcher in high school and in college, and it takes a toll on your knees. I see him more as a DH, maybe a first baseman in the future, but I, I can see him being maybe a 30% realistic timeshare behind the plate. 40%, he is still young, so it's a possibility. But again, this is a big guy. And like I said, I'm a big guy. So I, I, I see the wear and tear on his knees and his lower back as being an issue in the long run. Yeah, I mean, listen, I admit he only has 24 at-bats in his career and 24 in spring training. It's not a lot to go on. But when you're above 900 on your OPS in both of those and you had time off in between, he clearly has it clicking right now with the bat. And I think that's going to work out. We need to move to first base now. I'm going to read off uh, what I believe is I'm going to go with 15 today. And first base is... Number one, Cody Bellinger. Number two, Freddie Freeman. Number three, surprise, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Number four is Pete Alonzo. Number five, Spencer Torkelson. Number six, DJ LeMayhew. Number seven, Matt Olson. Number eight, Andrew Vaughn. Number nine, Jose Abreu. Number 10, Luke Voigt. Number 11, Anthony Rizzo. Number 12, Max Muncie. 13 is Alec Bohm, 14 is Dominic Smith, and 15 is Paul Goldschmidt. And does anybody have any quick comments on that? Bohm is too high. <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, myself and Jeff rated Bohm at 11, and Chris, for some reason, listed him as 24. So Bohm uh, is definitely not on Chris's list of players to grab in the near future. But Chris, Bohm is not a player you wanted to talk about. Who did you no. want to talk about? 
I, I want to talk about Jared Walsh. Um, Jared Walsh is in an interesting spot with the Angels. He should be the majority shareholder at first base. I mean, it's him or Pujols. And let's be honest, Pujols at his age and his, and his ailments is not going to take a lion's share at first base this season. But he's, he's taking a lion's share of that salary from the Angels, so they're well, going to play him I mean, for one more year. Yeah, he'll he'll get his mix of DH in first base, but he can't play the field because of his foot ailments. So it's going to be Jared Walsh, and Jared Walsh is a 25-plus home run guy. He's an 80 RBI potential. He's a 255, 320, 475 slugging potential hitter. He is a great grab for a late-inning infield or corner infield slot. He's projected right now or going right now in the 16th round, and I think that's that's a steal. To find somebody who can give you 25 home runs and 80 RBIs in the 16th round, that's a great find, especially in a dynasty league where he's not going anywhere, and pool holes will be out of the league in another two years, if that many. Oh, so, I think pool holes has done this year. I think this is yeah, last year. I think Jared Walsh is, is is a steal right now. If you can get him in the 16th round, especially in a dynasty league, to give you 25 home runs and 80 RBIs in the 16th round is almost unheard of, especially at an infield or corner infield slot. Now, James, who would you like to talk about today? Uh, I'd like to talk about Ryan Mountcastle, uh, mainly because he didn't make it in your top 15, and I find that surprising because I am all about him. I'm going to interrupt you for just one second. He finished out at 17 and he averaged a 19.3 ranking from three of us i had him at 21 chris had him at 17 and jeff had him at 20 so he just missed he's in the honorable mention category (laughs) but for me he's my number eight first baseman he is up there i think he's just going to continue to rake and continue improve and yes he's in baltimore yes he's on a team that no one really cares about because they're going to be bad because they're always bad, but that's where you go and you find value in fantasy, is you go to those teams that no one really notices. Uh, as Chris mentioned with Jared Walsh, no one really noticed him, despite him being good last year, and him projecting to have the lion's share of at-bats, and having his competition be Albert Pujols. Fans seem to have just not really latched on to him the way they do on those big market teams that are playing on the East Coast. Uh, as much as we don't want to admit it, I think that exists. And that's why Mountcastle's rankings is all the more surprising. He's on the East Coast. He's on a team in the AL East that gets those primetime games. And he raked last year. In 140 plate appearances, he put up an OPS over 875. His OPS plus was 140. He was a star in the making on a lineup with no protection, or at least minimal protection. And I don't see him not repeating those numbers going forward. Uh, and entering his age 24 season, it's it's greener pastures for me. He's definitely someone I own a lot of shares up because I'm a lot higher on him than most people. And I think everyone who listens to me or likes my rankings should invest. Okay, and I am going to talk about Keston Harura. I'm not even sure I pronounce that properly. But this year he is set to play first base. I did not put him in my top 50 rankings, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I actually had him in there as a second baseman, but I'll, I'll explain all this in a minute. First off, I've published a bust list two years in a row, and he has been on that bust list two years in a row. He had a great breakout 2019, but I said he was going to falter in 2020 because in 2019, despite his breakout, 
his differential in WOBA and XWOBA was one of the league's worst. Now, proof and concept, I said he was going to falter. His batting average dropped from 303 to 212. His BAPIP dropped from 402 to 273. And his weighted runs created plus went from 107, which is slightly above league average, to an abysmal 85. Now, last year, again, his WOBA and XWOBA differentials were among the worst in the league. He also has a career 32% K rate, which was, by the way, was higher last year than, than his career average. Uh, it was almost, well, it was closing in on 40%. I, I'm not sure exactly what it was. I'm not looking at that number. Now, as a second baseman, because of depth, I have him rated at 15th overall in redraft. In redraft, I have him at 32nd among first basemen. I don't understand the love for him at all. And I am I have no regrets keeping him out of my top 50 first baseman for dynasty. I think this guy is a total bust and we're not even going to have him on a lineup in three years. I know that's a bold prediction, but I'm just curious why the love and if you guys have anything to say on that. Well, uh, I guess my prediction on him is I had a very difficult time ranking him. Kind of specifically of what you said, that his expected numbers versus actual numbers were all over the place and not at all matching up. But I looked at him as someone who, with that second base eligibility, and as shallow as second base is today, I struggled to rank him. Because when I crossed over my second baseman ranks to my first baseman ranks, I realized that you know he still can rank high because of that eligibility, but he's going to lose that. But then also Milwaukee's a place that played Mike Moustakis at second played Travis Shaw at second. They're okay with moving him back if his bat struggles at first, and I don't think that he's entirely done being a second baseman in the big leagues, and I think he's going to hold some value there. But I do agree with you that if you're buying him in a redraft league, you're doing so very cautiously. His spring training numbers are not good. I don't have much uh, invested in him, and I, I don't plan on doing it. But at the same time, I'm not writing him off as heavily as you are. You got anything for us, Chris, on Harura? I agree with what James had said for the most part. Uh, the most concerning part of his of his numbers is his K rate. I mean, we're talking a 30% K rate for his career. Yeah, he's going to hit in the ballpark of 2025 20, as a ceiling home runs. He's going to get you 8 to 10 stolen bases. Yeah, that's not good enough. No. For- that's not good no, enough for, for first, first base, base, it's not. But as if, if he keeps his second base eligibility, and I do think the Brewers will keep that alive for him, then it plays. At first base, 25 home runs is not going to be great if you're an everyday first baseman. But if he keeps that second base eligibility, then we're talking a different category for him. And that's where I think his ranking does hold water. Um, at first base, 30% K rate, 25 home runs, 8 to 10 stolen bases. No, I don't see it especially with his batting average being what it is and his OB, OBP not being that great. So it really depends on what the Brewers do with him this season. But as James said, Moustakis is their second baseman. Hura will get second baseman plays. He will be eligible next season for second base. So in a dynasty format, I can see keeping him there. I want to add one thing and understand I 
not only am I a Dodgers fan, I'm also a Marlins fan. So I have a, a great affection for Greg Council. But I have to say this. He has a habit of allowing really bad offensive players with a decent or modicum of success defensively to stay in the lineup. And it hurts that team. And he's done it over. Arcia is a pretty good example of that, I think. Um, I I think they're gonna they're gonna keep playing him when Council's no longer the manager or a GM decides that it's time. I I really don't think you're gonna see him on the Brewers for much longer. I don't even think he's gonna be in baseball. Just remember, I said it here first. Um, I know it's a very unpopular <laughs> opinion. Uh, now, since since we are been segueing into second base, I want to go ahead and uh, make that list here now. Okay, second base, number one, consensus, Ozzy Albies. Number two, Gavin Lux. Number three is DJ LeMahieu. Four, Kevin Biggio. Five, Keston Harura. Number six, Brandon Lowe. Number seven, Ketel Marte. Eight is Whit Merrifield. Nine is Jose Altuve. Ten is Jeff McNeil. And I'm going to call it at ten. I mean, if anybody has anybody they want to add or talk about, we can do that. And, uh, James, we're going to start with you at second base. And I don't know, maybe you were making the edit because, according to my notes here, your your player is Brandon Lowe. <laughs> uh, that is correct. He, he is my player that I want to talk about because I love Brandon Lowe. Uh, I love everything that he's done. Uh, he seems to be one of those players who's, come up in Tampa Bay and just kind of been a star, but has been labeled as, oh, well, he's in Tampa Bay. He's got that Tampa Bay juju that people don't understand. But he's absolutely excellent, and he's essentially what everyone wants Ozzy Albies to be, and I think he's already there. Uh, in my rankings, I do have him third behind Ozzy Albies, so I might be talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm absolutely in love with him. I think his ADP is way too low, in pretty much every single league format, whether you're talking an on-base format, batting average format, if you're playing ratios, whatever it is, I think he's getting drafted too low. Second base is so is sh- is so shallow that I don't understand why you can't take someone who has that kind of floor much higher when the rest of the the top ten is just frankly not as appealing. I I. I'm just talking about people on the high end so far, and I think Brandon Lowe is going to end this season as the number one fantasy second baseman. That's a bold prediction, but I don't think it's crazy. No, neither do I. Yeah, it's quietly a bold one, but also when you think about it and you look at the rest of second baseman, it's not crazy at all. I will give a shout-out to uh, Jeff Plunkett, one of our other rankers. He has uh, Ozzy Albies as number one and Brandon Lowe as number two. I am the outlier. I actually had him at number 12, but I think that was more so because I I know he does really well in spurts and I just haven't seen it over a full season consistently and I until he can do that, I can't faithfully put him in my top 10. I'm sure he will wind up there eventually, but as of today, I can't do that. I understand, but I also look at someone like Albies and I I kind of see the same thing. He He's got spurts. Uh, his spurts might have be a little more top-heavy than what Lowe's done in the past, but he's definitely had his uh, long, prolonged two, three-week slumps uh, over time. But I'll tell you so. the difference between Albies and Lowe. 
Albies is going to play every day no matter what because of his glove, and Lowe will get sat down because the, the Rays have a penchant for moving people around in all kinds of positions and having a different DH every day. They don't care. It's the same thing with their pitching. I mean, Tampa Bay Rays do not care about your fantasy team. They're the Bill Belichick of baseball when it comes to fantasy teams. For better or for worse. While I agree with you that that's uh, their normal philosophy, he also did play 56 games last season, which is essentially every day in modern baseball, and I think that's going to carry forward. Okay. Chris, who do you got? I have Jazz Chisholm, a very unsexy pick at second base. Uh, He's a on average, 31st round second baseman, mainly because he didn't win the starting job until just recently. But the Marlins are hoping he mimics his second half numbers from 2019, where he hit 284 with a 383 OBP, where he had a 11% walk rate, a 25% K rate. He's a 15 15 candidate. He's not flashy, but at second base in today's day and age, that's enough to play. 15 home runs, 15 RBIs, playing every day, hitting for 284, not killing you in strikeouts, and having an OBP over 380. You can't ask for too much more. And considering he's a 31st round overall pick, he's a steal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, obviously, I watch Dodgers and the Marlins more so than any other team. I think Derek Jeter, when he made that trade and sent, was it the gallon? Was it the gallon trade or yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the gallon trade. He he traded gallon and and I was upset he traded gallon because I was like this guy's going to be good, and then he got Chisholm and I started digging into Jazz's stats and I was like you know, if this guy gets the right teaching in the minors and somebody really goes over that because he had he had a bad swing, and I. And I thought, well, if they can really work with him, he can really be an everyday infielder. Because at the time, I still think they were talking about shortstop for him. But um, I think, you know, he made the opening day roster. He's going to be the starting second baseman. I think he's going to do fantastic. So I agree with you, Chris. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I've got him in my top 25, and that was prior to his opening day announcement. Granted, it's at 25. But I think it's the, the exact same thing that Chris has said. We're kind of on the same wavelength so far in that he's going to put up very acceptable numbers at a very young age, and he's going to not really be noticed because he's not going to be hitting for that flashy power or stealing 20,000 bags, but he's going to get the job done. And when you play fantasy, you want people who get the job done. Yeah, for the record, he he comes out at number 16 for us with an average ranking of 20th. I am actually the lowest on him, even though I I think he's good. I had him at 23, Chris had him at 19, and uh, Jeff had him at 18. So we're all kind of in the same spot. Now, I'm going to have another unpopular opinion with my second baseman. Jeter Downs. I, I, this is another player I just don't get. I think he has a poor hit tool. I think it was not correctable. At least the Dodgers thought it couldn't be fixed. They shipped him out in the Mookie Betts trade with Alex Verdugo. I'm not impressed by him. He is outside of my top 50. The only thing that makes him attractive to me as a prospect is his speed. 
I think in a Roto or Cats format, he will be valuable, but in a total points format, um, that's why he's outside of my top 50, because most my dynasty rankings are really total points. I just don't, I don't see it. And I know that Chris is a Red Sox fan, so he may have a different opinion, but I think when the, here's, here's my philosophy about the Dodgers and prospects, and they have a very long history of being very successful with prospects. I mean, they, they had, I know in the seventies and early eighties, they had what, seven consecutive rookie of the years. And, and I know they had a problem for, you know, a decade or so after that with some poor management, but they've gotten back to the point where if the Dodgers are in on a prospect, I'm in on that prospect. If the Dodgers are out on a prospect, I got a question why. And I, what do you got to say about that, Chris? I mean, I just, I. I don't disagree. I'm not a fan of Dieter Downs. Um, the one thing I will say is the next man up behind Dieter Downs is Nicky York, and Nicky York is three years away. So Downs is going to play. They don't have anybody else really to unseat him until York is ready. If the Red Sox get competitive, they're going to trade for a second baseman. Maybe they'll get Harura. <laughs> uh, I don't see them trading. They don't have the capital to do it until 2023 because of Dave Dombrowski and those god-awful deals he made for the Sox. So I think come hell or high water, Downs is the guy, and they're just going to deal with the fact that he's going to bat ninth and and steal a few bases but not hit for average and not really drive in any power. They needed to do something because they were going to lose Mookie Betts. I understand the trade when it happened. I wasn't thrilled with the return, but I understand the return. I understand why they did it, but I am not a fan of Jeter Downs. He, I think he made number 23 on my list. He did. And that was being generous. Uh, realistically, if after this year he's in my top 50, I'd be surprised. Yeah, what was really amazing is Jeff ranked him at 12, so... Between your 23, his 12, and my 51, because he finished outside my top 50, um, yeah, he, he got pushed down. He's number 25 on our list overall. Um, I just, I can't do it. So uh, let's go ahead and move to uh, third base. And um, let me pull that up real quick. So our third base DSE dynasty listing is number one, consensus number one is Jose Ramirez. Number two... And there was some debate about this in versions one and two, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is number two. Rafael Devers is three. Number four is Alex Bregman. Number five is Manny Machado. Six, Johan Moncada. Seven, Anthony Rendon. Number eight, Nolan Arenado. Number nine, Spencer Torkelson. Number 10, Matt Chapman. Number 11, DJ LeMahieu. Twelve is... Eugenio Suarez. I'm going to go to 15. 13 is Kevin Biggio. 14 is Chris Bryant. 15 is Max Muncy. James, we all had Jose Ramirez at number one. You have Jose Ramirez as your profile. What can you add to that consensus ranking? Uh, I'm going to give some negativity to it. as <laughs> I don't have him as my consensus number one. I don't have him as my consensus number two. But I do have him above Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which is probably the biggest surprise, uh, as my number one is Machado and my number two is Anthony Rendon. Uh, I think both of them don't get nearly enough respect as they should, 
Uh, not to say that uh, they're unrespected as they're both top 10 third basemen and have been for quite some time. But when you look at a guy like Machado and you look at an offense uh, the way San Diego is supposed to be, I don't understand how he's not the consensus one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that real quick. I'm going to interrupt you. Third base is one of those weird positions for me where real-life baseball player versus fantasy baseball player is they're, they're like it's like uh, oppositeville. Um, if I was starting a baseball team today and I needed a third baseman, I'm probably going to grab Manny Machado, okay? But the numbers don't work out, especially in a total points context. At the end of the day, Ramirez just, when you run his numbers through spreadsheets, exactly year in and year out, he is just up there. And Machado isn't. Machado's one of those players that's a lot like Mookie Betts. And Mookie Betts is ranked high. Let's not misunderstand that. But anybody that watched the postseason last year will tell you that Mookie Betts is probably one of the best overall players in baseball. But he's not the best outfielder. And it's you know, and and by the way, DSE we differentiate between left field, right field, and center field on our teams. So th- those are very specific. But as a general rule, for me, for third base, it's always bizarro land. Uh, I think that real life baseball players and fantasy baseball players don't line up at that position at all. Uh, well, I might agree that uh, the past few years, Jose Ramirez has been uh, a stud because he has been, and he was my number one overall third baseman last year. The loss of Francisco Lindor is not going to be a quiet one for Jose Ramirez. He's not going to have that that additional bat, and yes, they brought in Eddie Rosario but Eddie Rosario isn't the same guy as Francisco Lindor. It's just not true. Uh, and that's going to... No, his protection, his protection is gone and his RBI numbers are going to drop. Those are going to drop. And, and frankly, I think his stolen base numbers are going to drop. I think this team is moving from being a team that's a little more active on the base paths to one that's not nearly as active. I'm not suggesting uh, Jose is going to be under 10 or, or anything like that, but I don't think he's going to be as prolific as he has been. And I think his numbers will suffer. Uh, obviously, he's my third uh, third baseman, so it's not like I think he's going to crash and burn. But I take the consistency of a Machado uh, on someone who's going to get some RBI numbers going forward. Uh, same thing with Rendon. Uh, I like both of them more than I like the variance that Jose Ramirez offers. And, and that's why I, I think it's important to discuss that he's not a consensus number one on my board. All right, Chris, let's move on. You have Yoan Moncada. What have you got to talk about with him? Mancata is an interesting player for me. Uh, last year, I had him ranked 21st overall at third base. This year, I have him 6th overall. He's a 20 home run, 10 stolen base guy. He does have flaws. He's going to strike out at a fairly significant clip, 28 to 30%. So that's going to hurt his average. But he does walk, so his OBP should be fine. He's also, this year, got the luxury of hitting between Abreu and Roberts, which is going to help his numbers straight across the board. He's going to get more runs. He's going to get more RBIs. He's going to see better pitches because he's got better hitters in front and behind him in the lineup. And that lineup is young and it's hungry and it's going to hit. I think Mankata is going to be a sneaky climber in the third base rankings. And don't be surprised if he ends up finishing the year in the top three overall. I don't disagree with James. I think Machado is there. Rendon should be there. Ramirez might not be there. It might be Mancada that 
slots in just above him because of the lineup that he's in, the opportunity he's going to get, and the overall talent that this young guy has. All right. I, I'm, I, I have nothing to add to that. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that either, other than uh, his spell last year with COVID, I think was, was more significant than a lot of people want to give it credit. And I think he, he is a solid bounce back candidate in, in the sense that I think his numbers will more or less definitively be better than they were in 2020. All right. I'm going to talk about somebody who's not even playing third base this year, but retains third base eligibility. And that is Miguel Sano. Now, I can't speak for every format, but especially at DynastySportsEmpire.com and our leagues, multi-position eligibility is massive. It is, I know that when I'm looking at redraft rankings and I'm looking at multi-position eligibility, I am moving people up significantly or moving them down if they lose eligibility. Sano is retaining third base eligibility. He's probably going to play the entire season at first base. The last full season he had, which was 2019, he had 34 home runs and only 38 at-bats. Now, if he retains that stroke, he could easily hit 40 home runs in a season. I don't think it's too far out. He's not going to carry a great average. Um, he's in a lineup that's going to provide a lot of runs and a lot of RBI. Um, his strikeout rate is not terrible, but it's not good. And in dynasty rankings, I have him at 22 as a third baseman. The other DSC rankers did not list him at all in their top 50, and I understand that. But for me, that eligibility is not disappearing this year, so I felt it was necessary to rank him there. There's a lot of value there. He is more valuable in a third base slot than he is in a first base slot. And for me, if you draft him and you can put him at third base and then still have another good first baseman in your first baseman slot, that is going to be a huge difference maker against your competitors. Anybody else? I guess I don't have much to, to add to that. He, he's my number 26 third baseman, and it's for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, the only thing I, I guess I do have concern for is he does have that eligibility today, but how long will he retain that? And when he becomes a, a first base only player, how much value is he going to lose? I think it's a little more than significant, and I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And come 2022, he might be a first-base only guy. That's exactly what I would say. Uh, I didn't rank him because I don't see him projecting forward as being third-base eligible anymore. And his numbers just don't profile at first base. Not for me. I don't think for most dynasty owners. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, move on to shortstop. And number one, we have Fernando Tatis Jr. Number two, Trey Turner. Francisco Lindor comes in at number three. Bo Bichette comes in at four. Trevor Story is number five. Wander Franco is number six. Number seven is Corey Seager. Eight is Xander Bogarts. Nine is Glaber Torres. Ten is Ienu Suarez. 11 is Marco Luciano, 12 is Tim Anderson, 13, Bobby Witt Jr., 14 is Javier Baez, 15 is C.J. Abrams, and I'm going to cut it off there. There are a lot of prospects that have not yet made the major leagues in our top 15, and I don't even think we're really going to address that uh, with our individual profiles. Does anybody want to comment on that? 
before we move on to individual profiles? Uh, I guess I would in the sense that uh, there's a lot of prospects and there's a lot of value, but I don't know how much current year value you're going to have out of those guys and how much value is going to correlate from 2021 to 2022. Right, and again, it's dynasty rankings. Of course, and I guess my point that I, that I would be making is that uh, what's Bobby Witt's value going to look like if he only gets a, a cup of coffee in the bigs coming into 2022? It's going to be about the same as it is this year. Uh, same thing with Wander Franco. And, and I just think that while you're obviously analyzing for dynasty uh, and you're looking to, to get stats for the long five-year, six-year haul, you might not get much this year and you might not see much of a value move and you might be better to, to target someone else who's going to give you a little bit more of a current return. Not to say I think these rankings are poor. That's just my, my overall thought process. Yeah, in previous podcasts, we've actually mentioned C.J. Abrams. And um, for anybody that has not listened to any of the earlier podcasts, I'll just reiterate. C.J. Abrams is an off-the-chart prospect, but he happens to be sitting behind a guy that they just gave, what was it, 12 years, $325 million. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they pay Tatis to stay there. He's not going anywhere. I understand that Abrams may have to shift his position if the Padres want to keep him. I've mentioned on earlier podcasts, I don't think they're going to end up keeping him. I think he's too valuable in terms of trade bait. And if the Padres are making a move against the Dodgers down the stretch and they need to solidify a playoff position, they're going to go after whatever whatever they need at that time because I'm sure injuries are going to have to play into that. And everybody is going to ask for Abrams. And at the end of the day, you just signed Tatis for basically the rest of his career. And there's no room for him unless he learns another position. So I don't, you know, you've got all these prospects and, you know, we were talking about Bobby Wood Jr. I mean, is he, is he worth more than a cup of coffee for the next couple of years? Who knows? But it's, that's the tricky part with prospects and dynasty rankings. Yeah, and, and I mean, just for me to clarify, I, I have Bobby Witt Jr. as my 14th. I got Wander Franco at 15, and I got C.J. Abrams at 21. So I'm by no means out on them. Uh, I just think that their value is going to be relatively static through the 2021 season. They're going to keep that value, but they might not be performing at the big league level. So it might be wise to, to invest somewhere else uh, if you want to do that. Uh, it's just a general comment. I'm not saying to go ahead and definitely do it. But in general, there's more high-end shortstop prospects than there are at any other position. All right, Chris, um, let's move on to you with your profile for shortstops. Sure. So I'm going to talk about somebody not mentioned, uh, somebody that actually fell to number 19 in our list, Dansby Swanson. Uh, Dansby Swanson, for the last four years, has gradually gotten better every season. That's a fact. He is projected for me for this year as a 20 home run, 10 stolen base, 80 RBI, 90 runs scored, 266 average, 334 OBP, and I have him number 15th overall, up from number 30. He has just figured it out. Every year he's gotten a little bit better, and he's on a lineup that he's got talent in front of him, behind him. He's going to play every day. He's going to get the opportunity. I, I just don't understand why people are out on him. He's currently going 
101st overall in fan tracks, which is about an eighth round in a 14-team league. I, I can't see not buying him. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think he's absolutely gotten better every year. I had him in a bunch of leagues before I played in DSC when he it was his rookie year because he was, I believe he was, wasn't he the first overall drafted? In, in He was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he had the pedigree, but man, that first season he stunk. But you know what? He's gotten better every year, I agree, and that is absolutely something you want out of a baseball player. And I think he's going to be a mainstay in Atlanta. And uh, I am I ranked him lower than anybody else at DSC. I had him at 21, but that's just because shortstop has so many good players and prospects in it that it was hard for me to move him up. Uh, James, I did cut our list off at number 15 with C.J. Abrams, but ironically, I just now noticed that your player came in at 16. So tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, uh, that player is Carlos Correa, and uh, it, I'm kind of piggybacking on what both of you guys said uh, about our most le- recent player, in that Carlos Correa is very good. He's in his mid-20s, a uh, little bit on the higher end. He'll be 26, and because of how deep shortstop is, he's kind of being forgotten as a, a guy who can really be a star. And when you look at him, he's only got two full seasons, uh, one being last year, which was the shortened season. So when you look at his counting numbers, you don't necessarily see someone who can be a top 10 shortstop uh, because of how deep the position is. But I really think that that Correa is just getting undersold because of how deep the draft is uh, in your standard league. And I think that you can just invest in him later in a draft and and address uh, positions that are more scarce up top. And and you're going to get some elite production. Uh, you know, Chris is talking about Dansby Swanson as a great late around target uh, because he's going to put up great numbers, and I agree with Chris. I think he will, and I think Carlos Correa is going to do the same thing. I think uh, essentially waiting at shortstop to the the best of the elite players that are still left is the right move, and I think Carlos Correa, more often than not, is that guy. And, and I have a lot of shares of him just because I think he's falling too far. I will say this about Carlos Correa. When he came into the league, I thought he was going to be the the next greatest. I doubt he was going to be the face of baseball, honestly. I think he got sucked into that trash can scandal too deep. And although he has denied being um, a beneficiary of the trash can, I, 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 I doubt it. And here's the thing. What I saw last year was him trying to make adjustments and it was, it was painstaking and it was difficult. And I think there's a lot of Houston players where I don't know how they're going to come around in a full season not having the advantage of that trash can. I think they did extremely well last year given the shortened season. And, and I, I think they benefited by not having fans in the stands. I think there's just a lot of questions with the Astros. And I think Carlos Correa can be extremely good. I just don't know that he can get out of his own head. You know, I don't disagree with you at all. I think he did benefit from those trash cans as much as his own mouth says he didn't. And uh, I also thought that Carlos Correa was going to be one of the stars of baseball, just like you. But at the same time, I think his stock, unlike other Astros like Bregman or Altuve, has fallen a little bit too far. And I think that uh, his sample size last year, where he struggled a little bit, didn't put up the the greatest numbers of all time, especially his power numbers in 2020, was just that uh, a thing of small sample size. 
I think that his numbers are going to more or less mirror themselves uh, as they did previously. And if you go back and you look at his 2015 season or his 2016 season, I don't think he was using the trash can then. And those are some pretty good numbers. And I think he can return to something near that. And I think he will. Yeah, I hope for Astro fans he does. I'm not an Astro fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. And I still don't like them after what they did. I hope um, for Astro fans he doesn't. <laughs> I have my player profile. And there's a pattern here. Ianiu Suarez, who is normally a third baseman, but is now being slated to play shortstop. Why? Because Cincinnati sucks when it comes to shortstops. They don't have anybody. They are so bad in their entire farm system and and even on their on their bench. They are so bad that they have decided to move their primary third baseman over to shortstop. Normally you move a shortstop to third baseman. Now you're going to ask this guy to be even more athletic than he was. Um but uh, but here's the thing. He is going to probably pick up shortstop eligibility in the first two weeks. And that is going to go a long way if you're rostering him. And depending on how this experiment goes, he may retain third base eligibility going forward into future seasons. He is a top 10 shortstop production wise for me, only because of how good he can be. So you know, I, I was looking at the list, and, and originally I didn't even have him in my list at shortstop. When that move came, or we got word that the move was going to be for real, like with a week ago, ironically, I still had Manny Machado in my list, and it became an easy swap. I had Machado at 10, so I put Suarez in at 10 and took Machado out because Machado is probably never going to play shortstop again. But, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence about him being that high, but at the same time, I think given in my dynasty rankings, there are so many prospects up high that he deserves that 10 right now. Suarez is not alien to shortstop. Let me just say that. He did play shortstop in the minors. He did play it in a, in a previous life, let's say. So it's not an alien position for him to go over to shortstop. That is one position, in my opinion, that requires you to... If you, if you were there and you left and you go back, it, it's a long time to get acclimated again. I do also think that Suarez is only holding a place for Jose Garcia, who the Cincinnati Reds seem to be fairly high on, and they're being smart about this. They're letting him stay in the minors to gain another year of eligibility before they call him up. So when he's able to come up to the pros and they can keep an extra year of eligibility, he slots in at shortstop. Suarez goes back to third base, and India's the odd man out. That's a realistic possibility for the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. Uh, do you have anything to add, James, or can we move on to outfield? Uh, I basically agree with Chris, uh, and I guess I also kind of agree with you in that if he gets that shortstop eligibility over those two weeks, who cares if he moves back to third? He's going to be a shortstop in your fantasy lineup. So go off of that. Uh, so I, I'm i kind of in the middle. I don't think he's as high as 10 at shortstop just because of how deep it is. But also, I think if he gets eligibility, you have to, to rank him appropriately. Okay. Let's uh, move on to outfield. And let me pull that up real quick. I, am, I think I'm going to list about, I'll go with 36. And I know Chris is looking at this list and he'll know why I'm listing 36. But that'll give us... Uh, approximately uh enough outfielders to cover anybody's uh 
curiosity. So number one is Juan Soto. Number two is Ronald Acuna Jr. Number three, Mookie Betts. Number four, Mike Trout. Number five, Christian Yelich. Number six, Cody Bellinger. Number seven, Bryce Harper. Number eight is Luis Robert. Number nine is Eloy Jimenez. Ten, Kyle Tucker. Eleven, Marcelo Zuna. Twelve, George Springer. Thirteen, Austin Meadows. Fourteen is Jared Kalenic. Fifteen, Aaron Judge. Sixteen, Kevin Biggio. Seventeen, Brandon Lowe. Eighteen, Michael Conforto. 19 is Nick Castellanos, 20 is Randy Orozarena, 21, Trent Grisham, 22, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 23, oh how the mighty have fallen, Charlie Blackman, 24, Dylan Carlson, 25, Starling Marte, 26, Franmil Reyes, 27, Jeff McNeil, 28, Ramon Laureano, 29, Whit Merrifield, 30, Joey Gallo, 31, Eddie Rosario, 32, Giancarlo Stanton, 33, Ian Happ, 34, Dominic Smith, 35, Jorge Soler, and number 36, Tiascar Hernandez, who happens to be Chris's player profile. So it's a perfect segue. Yeah. So... Unlike some people I know, I'm a fan of Tescar Hernandez. And it shows in my DSE rankings as I have him number 14 overall, whereas other people in DSE have him ranked 61st overall. <laughs> that would be me I, in case somebody didn't get the clue. <laughs> I project him to be a 30-plus home run, 10 stolen base, 95 RBI, 90 run scored player. He's going to hit 245, 250. He's going to have a 320 OBP. He's hitting between Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero. He's got power behind him. He's got power in front of him. He's going to benefit from the opportunity. The lineup is young. It's hungry. They have a lot to prove. They're a hitting team because I'm not sold on their pitching. I still think they're two starting pitchers away from putting it all together. But in terms of their lineup, they're set at every position. I'm all in. So, yeah. He's going 87th overall, 7th round. I've taken him as high as the 6th round. I've stolen him in the ninth round in other drafts. But given his ABP and what his potential is, I'll buy him everywhere I can get him. Chris, I mean, uh, James, do you have anything you'd want to add? Because uh, we're going to go to battle on this, Chris and I, when, I, when, when you're done. I think uh, kind of like a few of our previous topics, I'm going to kind of land in the middle. Uh, I like what Chris is saying, and I think uh, over a full-season sample, that's what Hernandez is going to do. But I also don't necessarily believe he's going to get a full-season sample. Uh, I think uh, when you mix in the the probability of injuries, which everyone has, uh, mixed with the depth that Toronto has, I don't know if he's going to get more than 120, 130 games. Uh, I still like him. He's my 44th outfielder, and and I'm also ranking a a few additional guys who are going to lose that eligibility. So I'm about where Chris is. I just have a little bit more skepticism that he's going to definitely get that full slate. All right. Well, I wrote an article on the DSC website uh, at the beginning of the baseball season where I listed my busts. And just 
So everyone understands a bust doesn't mean that they're just going to be terrible. It means that they, they are being overvalued and do not deserve to be drafted where their ADP was. This is kind of a, a chunk of what I wrote. Um, this is not word for word. I just jotted down some notes. Um, Hernandez hit above his career average in BAPIP, WOBA, uh, weighted runs created plus, hard hit percentage, and home run to fly ball ratio. And not just by a little last year, but by a lot. So much, in fact, that this its sustainability is statistically tough to even reconcile. Now, for a full-length regular season, I think those numbers have to normalize. And they have to regress towards a mean. And at the end of the day, I think he's just going to establish himself as the fourth-best outfielder in Toronto. And he will be an above-average player, but I do not believe that he is going to... I don't believe he he deserves the respect that everybody else is giving him. The other problem is, is I think he's going to struggle to get at-bats, which, James, you kind of alluded to. I don't... I, I see him just maybe getting 425 at-bats at best, and he might even get less than that if some of these other players start performing to their potential in that lineup. So... I'm not a big fan. Anybody got anything to counter with that, Chris? <laughs> it, listen, injuries happen, and I understand that 100%. Um, that being said, I think he, I think his bat plays. I think his bat plays in that lineup. Um, he has consistently hit 20-plus home runs in multiple seasons. If he gets the at-bats and he's able to stay healthy, I think 30-plus is very realistic. And in that lineup, to hit 90-95 RBIs and 90-95 runs scored is not unrealistic. Yeah, last year's numbers were inflated. It was a short season. He didn't have time to normalize. I agree with that 100%. He's not going to hit 289 again this year. It's going to be closer to the 245-250 range. But his OBP is going to be there because he does have, statistically, a decent walk rate. So he's not a bust, I don't think. And like I said, I'm willing to take the chance, and I've been buying him everywhere. I took him in uh, in TGFBI this year, and I'm all in. Okay. James, who do you have for your outfielder? Uh, I've got the, the first guy on my list who, who didn't make your top 36, and that's Alex Kirilov. Uh, I know he got optioned down, which is definitely a bit of a bummer for those of us hoping to get uh, as many games as possible as close to 162. Uh, but we also know that service time manipulation is a real thing that every single team does, and the Twins are no different. So he'll be down for his two, three weeks, and then he'll be up. And when you plug him into that amazing lineup that the Twins have, and you get him to play against the AL Central, which has an amazing pitching staff in Cleveland, but nowhere else, he's going to rake. And he's just quietly one of the top prospects in baseball quietly going to come in and play, and quietly going to put up very, very good numbers. He's my 25th overall outfielder, and I just don't see why people are short-selling him because of the, the early season minor league option, but they're not doing the same thing with Kalenic. Uh, I understand that he's got a little bit better of a profile, and I agree with that, but Kirloff's uh, the kind of guy who, who's his 1B to, to Kalenic's 1A, and I think people should be investing in him as much as they can. Yeah, I have shares of Kirillov uh, in a lot of dynasty leagues, and I'm excited about him. I only ranked him at number 50, and 
Chris ranked him at 65. The only reason I gave him a ranking that low is I think he's probably two years away from making a significant impact. And then that first and second year in the major leagues is going to be a transition period. I mean, few people come into the league like Cody Bellinger and just nail it right off the bat. So I, I think that because he's probably four years away from being really good, and I take that five-year snapshot, I probably have him. He's probably lower than he needs to be, but that's where I had him. Um, anything else before I move on to my guy? I agree with what Brett said. Uh, I, I love Karolov. I, don't, go, don't get me wrong. I have him ranked 65th in my list only because he's never played above double A. And that's a big thing for me. He hasn't seen the AAA pitching. He hasn't seen major league pitching, like real major league pitching, not spring training major league pitching. I think he will rake at the major league level given time, but he's got to develop. He's got to see the AAA pitching. He's got to put in his time. He's got to figure out his struggles. He's got to make the adjustments. And I think he's probably realistically two years away. The Twins also have a bad track record of prospects and not being able to get them to perform the right way. Look at Royce Lewis. For his injury, his injuries are his injuries, but he stumbled several times in the minors. So I think Kirilov will be better, and I do like him a lot, but he's got a couple of years to mature and see that advanced pitching and make the adjustments that he needs to make before he gets to the pros. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Minnesota has a, just a bad track record when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, prospects. I'm going to move on to my my uh, my my outfielder happens to be a prospect, and I'm going to list Alec Thomas. Now, for me, he is the forgotten prospect in Arizona. They have two really good guys, prospect wise, that are listed above him in Corbin Carroll and Christian Robinson, but. Alec Thomas is actually a year, maybe two years older than both of those guys, and I think he's going to get a shot into the major leagues a little bit sooner than them. This Arizona trio of prospects of Carroll, Robinson, and Thomas, it reminds me a lot of that Marlins outfield when they had Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna. I think the Arizona outfield is going to be completely different in about three years and in four years, they are going to be monsters, all of them. But what I like about Alec Thomas, aside from being ahead of the other two in terms of development and age, uh, he has an incredibly strong hit tool, has phenomenal speed. He is going to be, his defense is a little bit above average, but I think he's going to be a mainstay in center field. He doesn't have the pedigree that Carroll and Robinson have, but I think he has more upside potential. Uh, I, I agree with you completely in the sense that that, uh, that comparison to the Marlins uh, of Yelich, Stanton, and Ozuna uh, kind of was a light bulb going off in my head where I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I do agree that he is the, the forgotten man uh, in Arizona between the three. So I think he is a very, very quiet guy to, to buy uh, in the sense that not a lot of people are thinking of him as the number one guy. So I, I really agree with everything you're saying. So do I. I. I think that Carroll's speed and Robinson's power are flashy, and that's why people are focusing more on that. But Alec Thomas is right there. I mean, I have him on my boards right behind the other two. So I think he's a sneaky buy, and in Dynasty, that's usually the greatest kind of buys. 
Hey, Chris and James, I need you guys to disagree with each other more. I mean, we brought James on to be, you know, an extra voice, and he's just echoing everything Chris said, or Chris is echoing everything James is saying, and uh, it's it's not working for me from a podcast point of view here. <laughs> well, I, I do think we're going to disagree uh, when we get to our pitchers, so there's a okay. little bit of hope there, but so far, yeah, me and Chris have been very agreeable. Now, I did not put it in the show notes. Um, we only have five uh, DH slash utility players listed on the DSC website. I'll just go over them real quick. We have uh, number one is Jordan Alvarez. Number two is Shohei Otani. Nelson Cruz comes in at three. Giancarlo Stanton, number four. And Chris Davis, number five. We just I'm only mentioning them. I, we don't need to talk about them, but they are not forgotten. They are legitimate. Uh, I... I I don't like the utility spot in baseball in terms of fantasy. When you have a guy that is only utility qualified, I think that's a detriment. But at the same time, in TGFBI, I drafted Stanton, even though I swore I would never draft Stanton ever again after he left the Marlins. And mostly that has to do with the injury problems that he has. I just don't like to take the risk. But I figured in TGFBI, every once in a while, you got to take a shot on a player and try and get an edge or get above the other experts because I'm no longer the smartest guy in the room when I'm playing with them. So I took a chance on Stanton and my fingers are crossed and, you know, hopefully in a, in a dynasty format, he does get some outfield eligibility this year. That would be great for his stock. Not going to happen. <laughs> just like, just like I don't see Jordan Alvarez ever playing the outfield ever again. I don't see Stanton getting more than maybe five starts in the outfield. Sorry, bud. I, I, it's okay. I, I mean, he was my favorite player when I had season tickets to the Marlins. So, um, but I've I've weaned myself off of that man love that I had for him. So, <laughs> all right, we're gonna move to starting pitchers now, and I'm gonna list 50. This is gonna be arduous. So please bear with me, everybody, and we will get back to player profiles here in a second. So we have number one Jacob Degrom, number two Shane Bieber. Three, Walker Bueller. Four, Garrett Cole. Five, Jack Flaherty. Six, Aaron Nola. Seven is Lucas Giolito. Eight is Luis Castillo. Nine, Blake Snell. Ten, Trevor Bauer. Eleven, Max Fried. Twelve, Zach Gallen. Thirteen, Mackenzie Gore. Fourteen, Jesus Lazardo. Fifteen, Clayton Kershaw. Sixteen, Hugh Darvish. 17, Brandon Woodruff. 18, Noah Syndergaard. 19, Sixto Sanchez. 20, Nate Pearson. 21, Sonny Gray. 22, Tyler Glasnow. 23, Mike Clevenger. 24, Jose Barrios. 25, Denilson Lamette. 26, Oh How the Mighty Have Fallen, Max Scherzer. Okay, 27, Mike Soroka. 28, Casey Mize, 29, Dustin May, 30, Corbin Burnus, 31, Lance Lynn, 32, Lance McCullers Jr., 33, Chris Paddock, 34, Ian Anderson, 35, Tariq Skubal, 36, Kyle Hendricks, 37, Luis Severino, 38, Matt Manning, 39, Steven Strasburg, 40, is Frankie Montas, 41, Zach Wheeler, 42, Spencer Howard, 
43, Kenta Maeda, 44, Shohei Otani, 45, Zach Plesek, 46, Erman Marquez, 47, Aaron Savale, 48, Julio Urias, 49, Patrick Corbin, and 50, Brad Keller. And just so everybody understands, we did rank, I know I ranked 75 and Chris ranked 100. So there are lots of other pitchers that just didn't creep up on the list in there. So for starting pitcher, James, we're going to start with you. Um, your player, I did list him, your player ended up something really deep that probably is undeserved, and I don't remember why. So I'm looking for him again. 34. 34th. So go ahead and introduce your 34th player, or our 34th player. Yeah, that would be Ian Anderson. Uh, like many of the Braves pitchers, and really all of the pitchers in the NL East, I love him. Uh, I understand that he had a six-game sample size in 2020. He came out like a lightning rod, had an ERA under two, uh, had great secondary numbers. His FIP was like two and a half. ERA plus was like 250. He looked like an absolute star, but it's six games. Uh, he's also uh, a top prospect who's 22, uh, getting dropped into a rotation uh, on a very winning ball club and should be getting all of that run support that, that is necessary uh, in order to stick around and get wins and wins leagues. Uh, he's also should be going uh, long enough in the game to get those quality starts. And again, he's 22. Uh, I don't know why he's so low on lists, because he has all of the secondary supporting stuff to, to make him uh, an elite fantasy asset. Uh, I love him. He's number 16 on my board, and, and I feel like that might even be too low. He's just somebody I've been targeting everywhere in Dynasty because when you look at pitchers, obviously they can fail, they can get hurt, and, and all of that, but that goes for every pitcher. Uh, with Ian Anderson, his upside appears to be as clear as any other prospect in terms of today getting that uh, return on that value. And I'm all about buying him, and I just I don't understand why he's falling into that uh, mid-20s, high-30s range. And it's perplexing to me, and I'll just keep investing while the, the market hasn't corrected yet. Yeah, I ranked him at number 36, and it had everything to do with sample size. I like to believe that some people read my rankings and actually take them to heart and use them. And I'm just not going to be responsible for pumping him up there on such a short sample size. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, I can completely agree with that. But, you know, when you're the the third overall pick of the draft, you come with a, a draft pedigree that says that, yeah, it's a small sample size, but you could be that star who, who keeps those numbers relatively close to that. Yeah, but he didn't light the minor leagues on fire like Sixto Sanchez did. I mean, everybody saw Sixto and from day one said next Pedro Martinez. They weren't talking about Ian Anderson like that. And I know that he comes with pedigree, and I know he was drafted high. But he kind of, the, 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 the hype quieted it on him in the minor leagues until he got close to being called up. And I respect what he, I mean, he's good, okay? I'm not taking that away from him. I just need a bigger sample size. I think for me, the reason why I have him at 32 on my list is his AAA numbers weren't the greatest. And I think he falls into the category of just another one of those guys that needs a little bit more seasoning in the minors. Listen, in, in, in AA, he 
did no wrong. He had almost 12 strikeouts per nine innings. His walks were under four per nine innings. His ERA was under three, under two and a half, technically. He was killing it in double A. Triple A, he stumbled a little bit. He had a little bit harder batters to get, try to get out, and he stumbled a little bit. Yeah, in 2026 starts, he was phenomenal. But it's such a small sample size that I can't bump him up my rankings that high because he did stumble at the AAA level. And I do expect a little bit of a stumble at the major league level. I think that this year, realistically, somewhere in the 30s is realistic. Dynasty-wise, I, I see him climbing the rankings and easily being in the top 10 going forward because he is, does have age on his side. But I just think that he's at that age where he needs a little bit more seasoning. All right, Chris, who do you have as your pitcher profile? I'm going to talk about Aaron Savali from the Cleveland Indians. Um, Savali, I have him ranked 50th among dynasty starting pitchers, slightly ahead of his teammate Zach Plesac, which is a little bit perplexing to me. So Plesac, on average, is going six rounds ahead of Savali in most drafts. Savali is about an 11th round pick. Plesak is about a fifth round pick. If you look at their numbers, it's all it's all na- it's all name recognition. Too many people are watching MLB TV or MLB uh, uh, Network, and they see his uncle on TV, and the name recognition is there. They know his uncle was a major league pitcher. They know that he's got pedigree. It, it's name recognition. I agree with you. Savali is better than Plesak, in my opinion. I I think, you know, especially going into this year. And and then worse yet, Plesek showed immaturity in that whole scandal last year of going out to the club without a mask in the middle of a pandemic and putting the entire team at risk. I'm really surprised they didn't uh, ship him off like they did Clevenger. So... I, I think Plesak's overall stuff is slightly better than Savali's, but I think Plesak needs his stuff to be better in order to be a better overall pitcher, whereas Savali can just throw the ball and make things happen. I, I don't understand the discrepancy in, in terms of a six-round difference in picks between these two guys when their ERAs, their whip, their strikeout per nine, their overall stuff is not drastically different and yet one is going six rounds ahead i will gladly pass on plesak in every league and i have passed on plesak in every league and grab savali six rounds later i have no issues with that at all i i just don't understand the love of it and maybe it is name recognition maybe it's a little bit of a pedigree issue i just you can have them in the fifth round i'll gladly pass on him take somebody else that i would rather have in that round Wait on Savali and grab him as a value pick later on. Okay, and I want to talk about Corbin Burnus as my profile pitcher. Uh, this is a 26-year-old that had an incredibly break, an incredibly surprising breakout in 2020. He had a 2.11 ERA. He had a 1.02 WHIP. He pitched 59.7 innings, and which is not bad for a 60-game season. Now, his spring training has even been, and and I know there are going to be people that are going to call me out. I said, I don't pay attention to spring training stats, but this is kind of important. In spring training, the last numbers I saw for him 
was a 1.59 ERA and a 0.79 whip. He is continuing on the trend that he started last year. He's going to get a lot of innings. He's already been he's slotted in as the number 2 pitcher in the rotation in Milwaukee and I'm just going to say this. I think MLB with their new watchdog list of watching people whose spin rates are, you know, gone a little kooky over the last few years, they're going to be watching Woodruff and I have said it for years since I saw Woodruff pitch in a I saw Woodruff pitch in a playoff game as an opener I think against the Dodgers a few years back and I was watching him pitch and I said to everybody that was sitting next to me that dude's doing something to the ball that's not natural and I think he's been messing with the ball and I think he's going to get caught this year and that's going to bump up the innings even more so for Burnus. I don't believe he's going to maintain a, a, a two ERA and a one whip, but his numbers are going to be impressive. And he's going so deep in drafts right now that I think he's a steal. And I think that he's the real deal going forward. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. Uh, I've got him as my number 13 pitcher and I think he's going way too low. Uh, his 2019 was awful on his, on the surface, on his surface stats, but all of his secondary numbers were there. And the majority of his horrific outings were out of the bullpen. And, and everything you just said, it, it hits the nail on the head. Uh, and he's going to be a guy who you can invest in going forward. He plays in a division that right now is going to be the worst offensive division. That's going to help him. And I don't see why people aren't investing in him more. And uh, had I not gone with Ian Anderson, I, I would have brought up Corbin because he is another guy who I think is being criminally underdrafted. Okay. Um, We're going to move to relief pitchers, but I want to say something about relief pitchers before we get into the list, because there's been a trend over the last few years with swingmen, and there are pitchers that are starting pitchers that are eligible as relief pitchers. There are relief pitchers that have become eligible as starting pitchers with openers and all this other things that are going on. And the traditional relief pitcher list I think is garbage now especially in a total points league I think these middle relievers or setup men are and especially if you're counting holds they become much more valuable than a a, a volatile or shaky closer I know from my my list I, this is just my list this is not the overall relief pitchers list I had Jesus Lazardo as my number one reliever because he qualifies as a reliever and his numbers that he's going to put up are just going to blow away everybody else in a total points league. It doesn't matter if he's getting saves or holds. Everything else is just going to blow it away. And if you have someone like Lazardo, and who's my number two? My number two is Dustin May. You have a Lazardo and you have a Dustin May who are pitching in rotations and you can slot them into a reliever spot you're going to you're going to crush the competition on total points. So I don't like this reliever list because I think it bends a little bit more towards the traditional and I think we've passed that in as time has gone by. But I'm going to give you the list that we have here for DSE and I'm only going to list 15. So no, oh and by the way my number 3 is Corbin Burnus 
So <laughs> there's another example. I mean, here's a guy, and he's, he's done both. He qualifies at both. He's just going to kill it if you put him in a, in a relief pitching spot. But overall, because my top three are nowhere near the overall in this, overall we have number one is Josh Hader. Number two is Aroldis Chapman. Three, Liam Hendricks. Four, Kenley Jansen. Five, Brad Hand. Six, Devin Williams. Seven, Russell Iglesias. Number eight is Nick Anderson. Number nine is Ryan Presley. Number 10, James Karinacek. 11, Jesus Lazardo. 12, Edwin Diaz. 13, Dustin May. 14, Trevor Rosenthal. And 15, Corbin Burness. So, James, we're going to start with you because your player profile actually ended up on our top 15. Yeah, uh, James Karinacek is my uh, number four overall reliever. Uh, I do want to just to go ahead and mention that, you know, my rankings are based off of a standard 5x5. Five five. So since you are talking total points, uh, the apples-to-apples apples comparison might not be totally apt. But also we are talking fantasy baseball, and uh, they more or less match up. And, and for me, uh, when you're looking at closers and you're looking to, to get pure saves and not holds plus saves, uh, Karinczak is absolutely in the, the top echelon of relievers. You've got Edwin Diaz, you've got Josh Hader, you've got Liam Hendricks, you've got Aroldis Chapman, and you've got him, and then there's a Quiff. And I think most people aren't putting him in that uh, top tier. I think they've got those top four, and they don't include him. And I'm not really sure why. His strikeout numbers are straight-up video game and don't make sense. Uh, he's got age on his side in terms of development. There's no reason to fade him in the sense that he's not going to put up those elite numbers. Uh, maybe he won't get saves. Maybe Cleveland will use him, uh, deploying him as a, a guy who shuts down the middle of the lineup versus purely in saves. But so many teams do that nowadays that that doesn't really affect his ranking that much as long as he does get saves. And frankly speaking, uh, I, I think people are sleeping on him a bit because of the playoffs and how he came in and gave up that grand slam. And I think fantasy players can just take advantage of that because, uh, yeah, he gave up a grand slam in the playoffs when he got brought into a situation he shouldn't have been in. But take advantage of that in your team and your league and your draft and, and invest with, in him with confidence. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I think you nailed the, the, the nail on the head for that one. Yeah, so do I. All right, so Chris, uh, who is your guy and why? I'm going to talk about Archie Bradley. A very non-flashy, and just like most of my guys that I've been talking about are non-flashy guys. Archie Bradley is, a, in, on average, going in the 21st round in most drafts. He's in a closer committee. I think he's the stronger end of the closure committee in Philadelphia, but he's in a closure committee. So immediately he gets discounted because he's not going to get all the save opportunities for the Phillies. I have him ranked 15th overall because he will get saves. He will get holds. His stuff is good. His stuff is never really the, the question. He strikes out a lot of batters. He does walk a little bit more than he should for a relief pitcher, but he's also gotten better at that in the last couple of years. I think that realistically in that bullpen, he's the strongest arm in that bullpen and that he'll shake himself to the top and end up being the closer by the end of the year. So as a sneaky kind of closer committee, but I'd never really been a fan of Neris. I, I've never really believed in his ability. He's never really been that guy for me. I think Archie Bradley just ends up taking the job 
from him by the end of the year, if not before, and just walking away with the closing position. Yeah, I like Bradley a lot. I think he's in a bad situation. I think he's on a team that doesn't know how to manage their bullpen, and that is going to hurt his numbers. I don't know from a dynasty standpoint how long that makes him hurt you know, or how long that is going to affect his numbers, but that's just my opinion. If you if you read the my MLB predictions that I had just post, published today on the DSE site, I have the Phillies finishing in dead last in their division, and I do believe that Bradley is trade bait for the Phillies later on in this year. I think he gets traded to a team that will need a legitimate arm. Maybe he falls into a seventh inning role for whatever team, but I think the Phillies are going to be garbage this year. And you're right. They don't know how to manage a bullpen. And you know what's sad? They have so much talent on that team. They really do. And I just cannot fathom why they are so bad or why they're going to be so bad. Because I agree with you. They are going to be bad. They are going to finish last. I'll chime in as the third person to say the Phillies will finish last. <laughs> okay. Um, we're going to go to my relief pitcher. My my relief pitcher I want to talk about is Emilio Pagan. Now, he is often overlooked, in my opinion. He has a career strikeout rate of about 30%. And, you know, when he was coming up with the A's, he was, I mean, I remember reading publications listing him as, as a sleeper, you know, a rookie of the year type sleeper. He was, he has that good of stuff. He's been traded around a lot and he was injured last year. So I almost throw away last year's numbers completely, but in, a, in, a, in leagues that have holds and saves, he is going to be a gold mine this year. He is likely going to exceed both 20 holds and 20 saves this season, in my opinion. And before the season is up, he's going to lock up that closer spot and he's going to hold on to it moving forward. San Diego has a long tradition of once they get a good quality closer, they hold on to him for a while. And or at least for two or three years, and I think he's going to be that guy moving forward. Um, when he is healthy, he has devastating ratios. He keeps hitters guessing. He has a cutter that has near elite spin rate. And if you've ever actually watched him throw that cutter, I mean, there it's he's one of those pitchers that batters walk out of the box after striking out and they just shake their heads. Like, I, I don't even know how I'm supposed to hit that. And the thing is, is he's not talked about movement-wise when you talk about when you when you talk about like a Sixto Sanchez or even a Dustin May and and the movement they have on their pitches. I don't often hear people talk about Pagan, but I watch him and I watch that cutter in particular, and it's just it's it's amazing. I don't have much to add just because I agree with everything you're saying, and uh, outside of the fact that I think San Diego might not continue their tradition and he might see himself in more hold situation and might be deployed more as that stopper who faces the, the heart of the lineup when he's on uh, versus being a pure closer. Uh, but I agree that he's got elite stuff. His stuff is one of the best in in the bullpens in all of baseball, and, and I see no reason to, to be bullish on him. My only hang-up with Pagan is Mark Melanson. I think the Padres brought Melanson in to be their closer. Whether they admit it up front or not, I think that that's what the original goal was. They, they brought, brought in a Pomerantz. 
They brought Pomerantz in last year to be their closer. It doesn't matter who they bring in. It matters who emerges. And at the uh, end I of the think, day, I, I think, think they're going to go with the committee. I think Pagan has better stuff than the other two guys, and I think he's just going to end up with the job. And Melanson has the pedigree. And I think that's what's going to play in the beginning of the year, at the very least, more often than not. I think San Diego is so young and so talented that their philosophy is they don't care about older players. They care about building a franchise for the future. And guys like Will Myers are going to be on their way out. Uh, Lanson's going to be on his way out. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't even see Pomeran sticking around that much. I agree that I think that team is young and they're and they're building for the future, but when they know they need as close to 100 wins as possible and the manager at the end of the game is saying, who do I put in? They're going to go with the pedigree over Pagan, at least in the beginning of the year, and they're going to give Melanson the shot to lose the job. And if it doesn't work out, fine. But they're, they're going to go with the man that they brought in specific for that role, especially in the beginning of the year, because they know they need as close to 100 wins as possible to make a run at the Dodgers to win the division. Well, that's why I said Pagan's going to end up with both 20 holds, at least 20 holds and at least 20 saves. I think he starts off in the setup position. He's going to get those holds. And then eventually those other guys are going to choke because that's what they do. And he's going to end up moving into that closer role and get those saves. I think it's a very real possibility, but I do think it's a lot closer to what James has said, where Pagan stuff is so good that he's going to face the heart of the lineup and maybe not get as many save opportunities as you're saying he he should get. Okay. Um, we need to move on to the dish of the day. Our This episode is running super long, and uh, I didn't actually expect it to go this long, but it is what it is. But I also don't want to cut out dish of the day. So we'll be really quick with this. And for those that are new to the podcast, dish of the day is, since this is the Dynasty Diner, we like to serve up a little dish of insight or strategy or to give you to just chew on before you leave the podcast. And for mine, this will be a little brief and embarrassing. It is what I am calling the Marco Gonzalez debacle of 2021. I am currently in a draft. I got talked into participating in a cat's head-to-head league and I work a crazy schedule normally I'm a locomotive engineer is my normal real job and I had been working for almost a 14-hour shift I got home I had been up for almost 27 straight hours and it was an overnight shift and our clock was starting to run we were going to be drafting during the day I had to get some sleep I needed to load players into my queue and I did so very sleep deprived. Now, in fan tracks, I typed in Marco, no, I typed in Gonzalez with an S, comma, M. Autocorrect changed the S to a Z, and because I had a comma M and I didn't, oh, and I did spell out Marco. But what happened was because the autocorrect changed the S to a Z, the player that popped up was Marcos Gonzalez with a Z instead of Marcos Gonzalez with an S. I did not catch the fact that it was a different player because only one player popped up. So I figured it was the player that I was looking for and I added him to my queue. This is a money league. And at the end of the day, um, I was asleep 
that pick was made, the very next person behind me saw that I drafted Marcos Gonzalez, and he drafted Marco Gonzalez right behind me because he knew what had happened. And that was a dirty move by him, but so be it. Rules are rules. It is what it is. I'm just here to tell you, don't let autocorrect ruin a money league for you. I am playing catch-up because I did not get that starting pitcher. I waited, by the way, I waited on starting pitchers, and I I went deep with hitters in that league, and that, that starting pitcher would have been crucial for me. Double-check your work. Don't make your cues when you're sleep-deprived, and do a good job of setting cues, and that's all I have for my dish of the day. James, what about you, sir? Uh, well, my dish of the day is just something that uh, probably is known to many fantasy players, but a strategy I'm executing for more or less the first time. Uh, I'm all about uh, drafting starting pitching early. Uh, previous to this year, that had been more or less never my strategy. Uh, I wanted to lock up that sure-handed hitting, uh, go attack pitching uh, through time, You know, find those pitchers who, who showed up. But with the, the way that baseball is trending, the, the way that baseball now no longer has those workhorse starters on every single team, uh, I think investing in starting pitching early and often is a very sound strategy. And I find myself doing that more and more, and I'm a little surprised by it. But I also just think that's the way to go. All right, outstanding. And Chris, what have you got for us for your dish of the day? I'm going to talk about three prospects that I'm not buying. Uh, not this year, not next year. I'm just, I'm out on these three guys in particular. So the first one is a guy that is a little bit going to be a little surprise, Cabron Hayes. I'm out. I, I don't buy what he did last year. Prior to last year, he was not on my radar. He was not a top 100 guy. He splashed onto the scene in 24 games, hit five home runs. He, he, he tore it up, but... I think over the course of a 162-game season, he normalizes, and he's just an average, at best, third baseman. I, I don't see it. And him going in the 10th round, I'm fine with. He's not on my radar in 43 rounds. The second guy is Dylan Carlson. Admittedly, I was high on Dylan Carlson a couple years ago. Not so much anymore. I think that realistic expectations for Carlson are 15 home runs, 10 stolen bases, Maybe a 240 batting average, maybe a 300 OBP. He's going to struggle to stay in that lineup. Luckily for him, the Cardinals are weak in the outfield, so he has an everyday job for now. But I question for how long. And the last one is Christian Pache. I don't see it. He's a defensive, brilliant player. But in fantasy, we don't get points for defense. So what's he going to do in the batter's box? Maybe hit 10 home runs? Maybe steal eight bases? Maybe score 50 runs? He's a, a 240 at best hitter. His OPB is going to be under 300. Why all the hype? I will pass on him everywhere I have. If I own him anywhere, it's because I inherited a team that had him. I will gladly sell him at whatever price I can get for him. I am not looking to break the bank on this. I will sell Pache. I'm passing on him straight across the board. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I mean, I get it. He, he's 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 a very good defensive player, but he's going to bat ninth in a studded lineup. So as soon as somebody comes up that can play defense close to what he does with a better bat, he's out of a job. Okay. 
Well, we need to wrap things up. And uh, thank you both for your dishes of the day and everything else. We want to thank the audience for listening. Thank you, Chris, for being here. And a special thank you to James for being here. You can contact us on Twitter at Dynasty Diner Pod. You can email us, DynastyDinerPod at gmail.com. You can find James on Twitter with all of his rankings at WhatMoney3000. We love to hear your feedback. Please use the above means of contacting us communicate with us send us your questions tell us how we're doing subscribe to our podcasts rate and review them on the sites that do allow that please take time visit dynastysportsempire.com join a league they are fun we have baseball football basketball hockey and golf check out all of our written content and other podcasts sponsored by the dynasty sports empire we have new episodes weekly we, I mentioned it in our pre-intro before. We're going to be shifting gears. Basketball and football are on the slate. We would love for you guys to continue to listen to us. Please have a great day. Remember, build your fantasy sports dynasty empire and crush the competition. You've been listening to The Dynasty Diner, a proud member of the Dynasty Sports Empire family of podcasts.